Psalms chapter 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth. And to the excellent, to the righteous, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. The Lord, somebody shout the Lord. The Lord is... The portion. Oh, this is so powerful. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou Suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Notice that language there. I will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. I don't know for certain uh, how quickly I'm going to be able to get where I'm going tonight, but we're just going to walk with the Lord here just a little bit. Um, This psalm is is a powerful psalm, uh, if you understand the... The context of it, uh, there is a Hebrew word at the top of, uh, of this psalm. It's written over several other psalms. And it is certainly, uh, it's indicative of, uh, of a rhythmic, musical type uh, language. However, it is a word that has been lost uh, it's an it's an old word that there's really not a, a great great uh, translation for it's it's very hard to find, but we understand uh, the word is miktam and it's uh, it's a powerful word that speaks of treasure. Uh, some would say that uh, it would usually be understood to mean the golden. Psalm because of the value of the the gold, as if the gold were a treasure. 
Now, there were some that declared this psalm, believe it or not, to be David's jewel. Of all the psalms, just think about this. That this psalm was David's jewel. The fact that miktam is a word that it's so hard for us to really find the, the value in the English language of it. It is said that it is as well uh, secretive somewhat to the mind. And so if you were to combine these two things and thoughts together, it would almost be as to say that this psalm is the psalm of a precious secret. The psalm of precious secret, which is really, really cool. And I want to talk to you about this just a little bit tonight. I want to talk to you about a word in the night seasons. A word in the night seasons. Seasons. Our focus verse this week says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Such powerful uh, writing here. This is one of those places where if you just try to jump off in here and, um, and take a, a, a jump into the Hebrew language, it might mess with you a little bit because literally interpreted David says uh, here, he says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel and my kidneys instruct me in the night season. My kidneys instruct me in the night season. Why does that, what does that mean to us? There is something about the language of the psalmist as he says to us, my kidneys Speak to me instruction in the night. There is something about a man or a woman that have been so convinced of the goodness of the Lord that you know from your innermost being there is something about your God that even if you cannot explain it, he just does something to you and for you that is absolutely indescribable. You could take the language in the Hebrew Bible that David spoke when he said, My kidneys instruct me. And you could, you could say it like this. My conscience gives me instruction. My reins, my conscience, the kidneys of a man, the, the innermost part of the man. It speaks to me in the night. But why is it that my conscience is able to speak to me in a night season. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. He has invested in me. He has spoken to me. If I could break this down in its most simplistic form tonight from the Luke St. Clair translation, I would say it to you like this. Because I have spent time with him. And I have let him speak to my soul. 
I know with a surety beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can lay down my head on a pillow in a night season and there's something inside of me that knows even in the darkness because of what he has invested in me that everything is going to be all right. I've come to tell somebody that before the night ever came, there was a daytime that God was able to speak into my soul. That settling word that said to me before the night ever comes, I will be a light unto you. Before the darkness ever comes, my word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. I'm telling you tonight, I'm not concerned about the darkness. My kidneys are speaking to me tonight from the innermost being of who I am. I've got a feeling that everything is going to be all right. There is some thought behind this behind this chapter of understanding that the night becomes much less intimidating when you've been with him in the day. It is very difficult to connect with God in a night season and have clarity of thought. Because it's oftentimes in the night season that your vision has been somewhat obfuscated by the, the present circumstance of the day, whatever that might be. And it's really, really hard to see the goodness of the Lord in a night season. Unless you have a lamp that you take with you into the night season. <laughs> I understand that uh, we are very busy and that we have a lot of things that go on. But I want to tell you that we also have an obligation to seek the Lord. And the, 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 the epidemic that we have created in our own lives and especially in our American culture is that we busy ourselves so much that God really doesn't get time and attention until dark time. We don't talk to him much in the daylight. We don't talk to him much in the, in, in, in the daylight hours because we can see well. We are, we are people that talk about walking by faith and not by sight, yet our praise only comes by what we see. And if we can see the goodness of the Lord, then we proclaim the goodness of the Lord. But if the night be dark and you cannot see his goodness and his goodness somewhat be hidden from thee, then there is no light shining on his goodness and thus all you see is darkness. And so you'll begin to curse his goodness because you can't see it and you feel as though you have been neglected and you feel as though God has walked away from you. But I want to tell you right now that the absence of his voice is not the absence of his presence. The absence, oh God, I'm telling you, I feel him here tonight. You not being able to see his goodness does not mean he stopped being good. I 
I've got to learn to connect with him in the daytime and not just call on him in the night season because I'm going to need a word that can carry me through a night season. I need to take a little time while it is yet day to say, Father, I thank you for your goodness that as of now I can see because there may come a day that in the darkness your goodness is hidden from me, but I know you're not just good in the daytime. You are good all the time. Mm. You're good. You are good. Oh, my, 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 my. Mm. I told Brother Stephen tonight before church, I said, I don't know how I'm going to pull all this together because I know where I want to go. I want to tell you something tonight that we have, we've, we've got to get settled in our heart. God's goodness is not something that he does. <laughs> His goodness is not an act of kindness. His goodness is his nature. And we, we, measure, we measure his goodness by what we see and not what we know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get, get something to you here. I'm going to slow it down to first gear for just a minute because I, I, I don't want to mess, mess with you too bad and say it so fast that you miss what I'm saying. I've talked to you a little bit about this in blips and seasons here and there. But I want to tell you that there is something more important than your faith. Oh boy. There is something more important than your faith. Because your faith defines what you believe in. When I say I have faith in God, what I'm saying is I believe in God. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith fail you not. Why? Well, because Satan hath desired to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith, your belief system, the structure of your belief system would not fail you. But I want to show you something about faith as we see it defined through the pages of the scripture. And I want to walk quickly, but I don't want to lose you here. There was, there was no talk whatsoever in the scripture about men believing in God until... We began to see structures of idolatry built. Because men believed in idols. But they had to construct some kind of belief system in that idolatry. It's really, really hard to take, uh, as the scripture said that I preached to you over the weekend, to take a piece of, of wood, wrap it in gold, and say, I believe in that. You have to develop a belief system. I've never seen this piece of gold do anything. But I am developing now a belief system that I, I can clearly say, I now believe in this idol. I believe in this level of godship, if you would. Like, there is none above him beside him. I don't want to pre-qualify everything I say from here. You understand what I mean? There are things that are, that are G-O-D-S. They are gods in this world, but they are not God. So that, that's clear, right? So my language is very clear when I say this Godship type that I have to develop an understanding that there's got to be something this God can do for me. For instance, it is an ever-evolving uh, idea. You take a look, and, and I don't want to chase rabbit trails here for a long time. Uh, you could speak with 
brother and sister Snow, brother and sister Lang, any uh, people that have, have worked uh, in India and they could talk to you about Hindu worship. It's had to be such an evolving deal because there are so many thousands and thousands and thousands of gods. It, it, it's, uh, it's really strange. But basically, the belief systems of the world are, are set up like this. Whatever I need a God to become to me, that's what I'm going to start believing. Okay? I, I'm, I'm not trying to get deep here. I just want to, I want to set this up for you. So... The Native Americans, they had systems set up when they needed rain. What they pray to? The rain gods. And they did the rain dance. It's so incredible because when they needed rain, they connected with the rain god. It became what they needed it to become. So they had to develop a belief system. Their faith was invested in the fact that if they could pray to the god of that system, then he would somehow come through for them. And this has rubbed off on us more than we think. Because our belief system in God, our faith in God, has become uh, such an individual thing. Because you know God based on what he brought you out of. You, your faith in him is based on your system of belief. And it is somehow, uh, I hate to use the word tainted, but it is uh, somehow uh, skewed by your upbringing. So if your uh, mother was a Roman Catholic and your father was Greek Orthodox, then your view of God, even after you come into truth, there will be some kind of a mark in your belief system that says, my faith in God was developed by the systems that I came up around. Everybody still with me? I'm, I'm trying to get this in a hurry without running off and leaving you. I wish I had about seven days to talk to you about this. There is something more important than your faith. Your faith is what God has become to you. I believe in God as my healer. Why? How did you develop that? Because he healed me. Right? And so I'm, I'm building my faith on the fact that I believe he can heal. I believe he can heal. I believe he can heal. But the thing that is more important than my faith, what I believe, is what I know. Oh, my, my. I don't want to run off and leave you right here now. This is so important for you to get because I'm fixing to take you somewhere in Jesus tonight. My faith is my belief system. But my belief system can often evolve based on present circumstances. So that's why it is more important what I know than it is what I believe. So when someone, if, if he were to be here tonight and we know he's not, so this is all theoretical, it can't really happen. It's hypothetical, it cannot happen. But if Abraham was to walk in this room tonight and you were to look at Abraham and say to him, Abraham, do you believe in God? It would stump him. Because Abraham did not believe in this God system. He knew God. It wasn't someone else's faith that led Abraham out of Ur into a wilderness of understanding who he was to become as the father of many nations. 
It was the voice of the Lord. It was not a second-handed opinion that began to develop a belief system. Did he have faith in God? Well, sure he had faith in God. If he didn't have faith in God, he would have never walked up a mountain with his son. If he didn't have faith, then his faith wouldn't have never made it to Hebrews chapter 11. That said Abraham believed that even if God had to resurrect Isaac, he would have resurrected Isaac and made it happen. Did he have faith? Yes. But what was more important than his faith in God was what he knew about God. It did not take faith for Abraham to walk out of Ur of Chaldees and leave his family and his homeland and everything that was familiar. That is beyond faith. That is not just a faith system. That is a knowing of something beyond a shadow of a doubt, a surety that if God spoke this to me, whether I believe it or not, he is God and it's established. So my, my, oh Lord Jesus, my faith in God says, okay, God said it, so I'm going to believe in what he said, and I believe he can bring it to pass. Let me rewind something with you right here. When I'm teaching and preaching in this line of thought, I always think of you, Brother Boyard, the conversation that we've had in the past. used to uh, be a pretty common testimony that people would stand up and they would say, Jesus said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But I want to tell you a little secret tonight. There's something more important than your faith and what Jesus said. And it is the fact that if he said it, it's already settled. Oh. What are you saying, Pastor? Okay, let me break this down. Somebody's going to think I'm being ugly, but I'm not. I just don't know how else to say it, okay? His word says it. I know his word says it. Do I believe that? Yeah, I believe it. But if I stop believing it today, I'm trying to get where I'm going. He's God all by himself. Do I believe that? Yeah. But what if I stop believing that today? He's God. That's it. Do I have a belief system, a faith system? Sure I do. I believe he's God. But whether I believe he's God or not, he's always going to be God. He was God before I got here. He'll be God when I leave here. If you, honest to God, believe that Job's resilience was built on his faith, you have missed it entirely. He did not just believe that God was going to give him back everything that he lost. Job taught us that whether he gives it back to me or not, he is still good. I don't just believe that God is going to give it back to me. I trust him enough that if he takes it and he wants to keep it, that his will for me is working for my good. There is something more important than my faith. and That is what I know. Because if I have a faith 
the Lord told Simon, and I, and I don't want to keep running a cycle, but he told, he said, Satan had desired to sift you as wheat. So I prayed for your faith that it wouldn't fail because faith can fail. You understand what I'm saying? Faith is siftable. You don't believe that. Let all hell break loose in your family. You'll question your faith. He prayed for the part of Simon that was siftable, that was, it was shakable. When the storm was raging in the boat, he turned around, he looked, and he said, oh, you have, it's, uh, you had great faith when you got on, but your faith has changed. You got little faith. Your faith is little because you let the storm get big. <laughs> but if you know who's on the vessel Everything outside of your faith system right now Stays intact Because what I, here's what I know I say this all the time Because I want somebody to get this in your system In your heart, in your mind, in your spirit I'm not going to hell for anybody so when my faith is shaken, and I'm walking around, my faith saying, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And my circle gets smaller and smaller. My belief system is struggling just to believe. If I've already settled it in my heart before the night season. Even when my faith struggles, I have confidence in what I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. Oh, God have mercy. He did not say, I believe that my Redeemer is alive. I believe that he's going to stand at the latter day on the earth. He said, I know, I know, I know that my Redeemer, he lives. And what I know is more important than what I believe. Because what I believe right now is, I am in a low place. It is a dark night. It is a night season. But I know God is in the night season even when I can't believe it. My knowing is more important than my believing. <laughs> That's exactly why Paul did not say, oh, that I may believe in him and the power of his resurrection. Woo! It feels like a strong current in here for a Wednesday night. Oh, that I may know him that I may I may know him you should never question God I don't know that I ever found that in scripture because I've questioned him a lot as a matter of fact Job queries God multiple tens of times in the scripture he questioned him over and over over and over. But there was a constant that was beyond his question. Shh, God. When I know that I know that I know that I know. Then when I lay my head down in the night season. My kidneys. <laughs> my conscience. 
something down deep inside of me. That aching in my back. Tears dripping into my pillow saying, God, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe this is going on, but something down deep inside of me that says even when I can't figure him out. I found out how to know him in the daylight hours. And in the daytime when all was well and I could have gone my own way, I let him counsel me. I had enough daylight to walk my own path. But I said, Lord, although I can see where I'm going, what do you think about it? And when the Lord orders your steps, you've got a peace about it in the night season. Because you didn't walk your hide in here. And you're not going to have to walk your hide out of here. I trust him in the day so that I can trust him in the night. Sometimes you got to get by yourself in the daytime. And just say, well, my family's good. Well, my kids are healthy. Well, my body's healthy. While there's food on my table. I bless you. Because if you ever come to a season where there's not food so easy to get a hold of, his goodness doesn't change by my table. Because he prepares a table before me. Hmm. You can't judge his character by your refrigerator. You can't judge his character by your car. And you can't judge his character by your house. I'm telling you, I've been through things. I've had things happen that God had nothing to do with. I've had things happen in my family. I've had things happen uh, in, in, in my distant family. I had things happen in my house. I had things happen on my car. And God had absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. But isn't it funny that things that he has nothing to do with are what cause you to question his goodness? I've probably told this story before, and I'm, I've got to hurry. I've got some places to go. It's getting, getting late on me quick. Brother Jack Cunningham was riding with Brother Billy Cole, and they were going to preach at a denominal church. And uh, they had received a phone call. Brother Cole had received a phone call to preach in a denominal work to come preach truth. And on their way there, he turned around to Brother Cunningham, his nephew, in the back seat, and he said, you're preaching tonight. So he said, I got up my preach. I'm, I'm making the short story he said, short. He said he finished preaching. He got back in the truck, and they went to leave. And he said, man, I dropped the melon tonight. That was horrible. He said, Uncle Bill, that was, that was awful. He said, Brother Cole turned around to him, pointed his finger in his face, and chewed him out. He said he pointed his finger in my face and told me how arrogant I was. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm back here like realizing I just royally dropped the ball. And he said he pointed in my face and said, you are so arrogant. He said, if you'll take the credit when it goes bad, that means you would have took the credit tonight if it would have went good. Think about it. Every now and then. We need something to get a hold of us.
that just says his goodness is not in my performance. Because I'm going to have bad days. And I'm going to have days when I come short. But he's good when I'm on the mountain. And he's good when I'm in the valley. Y'all could preach this for me right now. I'm just telling you. You could preach it. You could preach it. You could preach it. So let me get to where I'm going. So why is this psalm such a secret treasure? Why is this? What is so powerful about this psalm that makes it a secret treasure? I want to just pull a few things out of here if I could very quickly. I'm going to bounce back and forth. Uh, but I want to show you the power of some things right here. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He realizes first and foremost where his preservation comes from. That's where his trust is. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth. There's some debate about this. Some of this. Some, some believe that he's saying those that have already died that are buried in the earth and to the righteous that still live, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. I don't want to beat a dead horse right here, but I want you to notice the power of his language. He is saying it's a settled, settled deal. I put my trust in God and anybody that does not trust in him. They got issues and I'm not sacrificing for them. I'm not taking their blood sacrifice. I'm not. I'm not bringing their name to my lips. I refuse. Somebody say it's settled. The very next verse, he moves right back into it. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. Thou maintainest my lot. The lions are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Verse 8 is so powerful. I have set the Lord. Somebody say the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I have placed his fear before my eyes. Because he is always at my right hand, I will not falter. Another explanation says I have placed the Lord before me constantly. This alludes to the Torah that was before him and for him to read all the days of his life. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is so amazing. I could take you there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 17, and I want to read this to you. God began to speak this to me today, and I was like, oh, my word. Deuteronomy chapter 17, he begins to talk about uh, the Levites, uh, and then verse 14. Watch this. When thou art come unto the land, 17 and 14. Which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. So what's he saying here? Israel's going to get a king, right? Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren, shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, but he uh, shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that... 
He should multiply horses for as much as the Lord has said unto you, you shall henceforth return no more the way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. He's going through all this stuff. This is so awesome. Look at verse number 18. It shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest of the Levites and it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right or to the left hand to the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom he and his children in the midst of Israel notice this in verse number 8 he said I have placed before me constantly the Lord the Lord when we bring this to Deuteronomy it says that the word of the Lord is before him there is a prophetic treasure written in this chapter that is so stinking powerful I wish to God I could get it out the way I want to tonight He said, when I put the word of the Lord in front of me, it is as good as his name. Because I don't have faith just in the word. I know the word. I know the author. And he said, if I can keep his word in front of me. The Lord said when the king comes, I'm going to put a Torah. I'm going to put a scroll in front of him. And I, I know he's leading Israel. But I want it. And this is what's even so funny. Uh, I believe it was Rashi that I was reading that said uh, that, that he would, the king would hold the scroll hanging over his right hand. Notice the language of verse number 8. said he, wa- he would walk around and that a scroll would be hanging over his right hand in Psalm 16 and 8. Read the language of it. So powerful. He said, I have set the Lord always before me and because he's at my right hand. You know what he was saying basically right here? He was saying, I put the Lord in front of me. I got his word in front of me. And everywhere I go, I'm walking with a word. Everywhere I go, I'm, I'm walking with the word. And because I've got his word, I shall not be moved. I've got a word. I've got a word. And my word doesn't change if it's daylight or dark time. I've got a word. My reins, my reins are speaking to me. My conscience is dealing with Why can you live like that? How do you live on that level of faith? Because it's not about what I believe. It's about what I know. And I've got his word in my hand. I'm walking with the word. Every day I've got a word for the night season. Let me, let me hurry. I see what time it is. I'm getting there. Y'all ready to go to the house yet? I'll, I'll quit early, but I got something good if you want me to keep going. Let me jump over here. Now, you've heard me talk about this. But there's an extreme danger and just taking the New Testament text and saying, well, we're a New Testament church. I like grabbing a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new and pulling it together and seeing does it make sense. Yes. Right? Yes. See if it makes sense. So the Lord said when you get a king, 
set him in front of you. Uh, when I set him in front of you as your king, I'm going to set a word in front of him. He's going to keep it in front of him. But David was not just a king. David was a prophet. David was absolutely a prophet. Now, I'm going to take you somewhere. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. You wouldn't believe. I want to take you somewhere that everybody knows where I'm at right here, okay? We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to go to the book of Acts chapter number 2. Book of Acts chapter number 2. Peter is standing up and he's speaking about some things that in just a few verses ends up pricking the heart of these men and women. But he talks to them from verse 22. Let's just go to 21. Let's just go to 21. We'll just hurry up. Shall come to pass whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the Oh, huh, the foreknowledge of God, not an afterthought, Bishop. The foreknowledge of God you have taken, and by wicked hands you have crucified and you have slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 25, for David speaketh concerning him. What? Peter begins to quote Psalm 16, and all of a sudden, the secret treasure becomes revealed. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. I saw the word in front of me. Deuteronomy said he's the word. Acts says he's the Lord. John 1 says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. What David kept in front of him as the king was the prophetic understanding and foreknowledge. Woo! That the word will be made flesh. Oh my God. Do you know how Peter and Paul taught Jesus to them from the law and the prophets? Because Jesus is on every page from Genesis to Revelation. He is the living word. He says, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is is both dead and buried, and in his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit 
on his throne. He seen this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh to see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens but he saith himself the Lord hath said unto my Lord sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ now when they heard this they were pricked in their hearts What we miss on the day of Pentecost is that Peter is standing up and telling them that David had foreknowledge that the word of God that he kept on his arm and kept in his heart was going to show himself mighty. In the book of Psalms, the 16th chapter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was promised that the Holy One would not stay in the grave nor see corruption. And all of these people standing there go, I don't know how to say it as good as some of these guys, but they're all standing there saying, oh, we've read in in the Tehillim, in the Psalms. We've seen that. But now what we see is that the word has come alive. And that the word, they can try to crucify him and try to put him in a tomb. But David said prophetically that the Holy One would not see corruption and that he would come up out of the ground. Can I tell you that the secret treasure of Psalm 16 was a blessed hope that David had sitting on a throne. That there is a Messiah that's coming. The word will be made flesh. I can look beyond this throne and to another throne and coming from my loins, he will not only be the seed of David, but he will be the root of David. He is root and offspring. He is lion and he is lamb. He is Lord and he is Christ. He is father and he is son. He is, oh, I feel like telling somebody tonight. (laughs) When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, All right, what do we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin. And you shall receive. The gift 
the Holy Ghost. Why is this so powerful? Because Peter reaches back to the book of Psalms and grabs hold of the death, burial, and resurrection. Did y'all see it tonight? I hadn't lost my mind. He said, my hope in the night season is that the son of righteousness is about to rise with healing in his wings. I don't know, folks, how to make sense of all this, but I want to tell you that them old fathers of the faith, they knew more about him than we think they did. They knew what to look for, and they knew what they were waiting for. I want to tell you the difference in me and them is that they were waiting to see his day and rejoice. We have seen his day, but we're waiting not on the first coming, but the second. When he shall descend from heaven with a shout. 